you come in. You are most graciously welcome to Tens on Tens, a girl talk comedy podcast in which two tens make top ten lists about whatever they choose and shoot the shit, as it were. So procure the libation of your choice and, pardon my candor, sit down, shut up, and listen. Here are your hosts, the debutantes of debauchery, the queens of crass, the mistresses of muckrockery, Emma and Lo. <laughs> All right, we're back. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, so, I don't know. Do you think we should release this uh, week of our launch, like coming back, or if we should give them another week or so in between? That's up to you, producer. Whatever you think. Anyway, it might be a little bit of time for you guys, but for us, it's been two minutes. Not even, yeah, so, not mm, even five minutes. We, Just a little potty break and we're back. Yeah, we hammer it out <laughs> for you here. And I think it's funny because you can always tell when we've, we're doing like two parters or two furs because it, <laughs> like we start off the episode one always like, hello, welcome to the show. And by episode two, we're like, what's poppin'? <laughs> Sometimes we're also drunk and that's true. <laughs> Today we have coffee, though, so hopefully it'll just be rise in energy levels instead of getting drunk. I love that shit. Um, I don't know. When we get drunk, we're still very energetic. True. That's very true. <laughs> but, like, shake some ass! Yes. Um, <laughs> shake that ass and kick rocks! Exactly. Yeah, we need to do a drunk episode soon. Oh, but, right? Oh, maybe we should do that for your B-Day. Ooh, that would be fun. Did I tell you I stopped drinking coffee? For the most part. Today yeah. I have some because it's Sunday, but... That's awesome. How's that going? Do oh, you- my gosh. Let me just tell everybody, if you drink coffee and you go to stop, I just noticed that, like, I needed a nap every day Mm -hmm. when I drank coffee. And it was just, like, the crash was not worth it. I stopped drinking it. I had a headache for three days straight. That's called withdrawal, baby. I know. And caffeine headaches hurt the worst. Oh, yeah. It's, like, all around your head. Mm, That's fun. I guess, like, for me, because ADHD is hell, and there's been an Adderall shortage, so I've been... Is there? Yes. Because too many people are getting prescribed Adderall? Yes. so I haven't, I've been rationing it, and on days when I don't take it, I just got a shotgun some coffee. Wait, so you can't even get your prescription filled? Well, it's a, I'm also in a weird in-between insurance situation, because uh, I got a new job, right. but um, yeah, it's been a little difficult. Wow. I know, which is I fun. I had no idea. That and the other med I'm on right now is being um, promoted on TikTok by the health girlies as like a way to lose weight. Oh, no. So I can't get that one either. Well, <laughs> TikTok, can you fucking stop, please? Just I get... share hacks. Like, stop sharing stop. stuff. Like, <laughs> Stop, but also, like, more shame on those doctors that are prescribing it to people just to lose weight know, when I it's, know. like, literally used for other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that is bad. I recently went into the doctor to get um, my own anxiety meds because I've been dealing mm-hmm. with a lot of anxiety lately. And it is, like, crazy how easy it is to yeah. get those meds. Like, they barely ask you any questions. I mean, it's a little, a little insane. I, I do think that, like, you know, ADHD is definitely over... Prescribed. Overprescribed yeah. because people will have like one or two symptoms and then be like, oh, that's it. That's what you got. You well, have like, to have you look like at your phone while you watch TV. Oh, like, yeah. Here's, but everybody does that. It's because, you know, us as a society, we're just our attention spans are shrinking. <laughs> Goldfish. Like, we all know that's literally <laughs> yeah. the case. So, you know, it's hard to differentiate between the two. And I'm like, dude, I'm actually suffering. I can't fucking do my job. I need I need some yeah. something. And but it's nice that like caffeine can help in that regard. So True. I kinda always have to have caffeine. Yeah, which no, that's fair. sucks a little bit. Yeah, and don't ever come off of it because the reason that I know well, this is kind of what inspired it. My mom had like a an outpatient surgery and she wasn't allowed to like drink coffee like twenty four hours in advance. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um and she said the headache that she dealt with after was like so not worth it so she switched to decaf and I was like I want to do 
It is, yeah, because part of it is, like, conditioning yourself. Like, having a cup of coffee is, like, one of those things you look forward to in the yeah, morning. Yeah, it's very ritualistic. Yeah. Like, makes you feel like your day's starting sure. off on the right foot. Yeah, I get I do I miss get that. that. I feel like I'm, I'm lucky. I don't really get, like, caffeine withdrawals because it just kind of makes me normal. Yeah, <laughs> to baseline. Yeah. But I did learn something that, like, apples have, like, about the same amount of coffee as a, or caffeine as they a cup do. of coffee. And so I eat apples all the time. I know. And I, I was like, I always really like them, and now I know. Uh, why? Because yeah. <laughs> they made me feel energized. They're like, oh, they took away my brain fuzzies. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so anyway, um, that was a bit of a tangent, but we just love talking to you guys. Um, so we're coming back for part two. If you haven't heard part one, go ahead and listen to that one. It's last week's episode or last whatever day episode. But you can do that or not. I, I don't need to tell you what to do. Uh, we love you so much. Um, so this week we are talking again about just interesting women in history that we were doing research on. And we had a real, like a lot of fun doing this one, um, and so we're we're discovering discovering as we go through this list that like, yeah, I've never heard of any of these women on your list, and vice versa, yeah, right? Uh, and I think the only time we had is maybe we might have come across their names in our own research for this. So it's like it's cool to just shower some some notoriety on their on their lives, which are fascinating. Yeah, so interesting. So I went first on the last one. Do you want to go in first on this one for this sure. one? Sure. Yeah, I would love to. All right. So this should be your number. Five? Cinco. Cinco. Yeah. Okay. So my number five is Annie Londonderry. Have you ever heard of Mm-mm. her? Okay, so her real name was actually Annie Cohen Kubchowski. But I will go into the Londonderry mm-hmm. origins soon. So she was the world's first international female sports star. Swag. But but like <laughs> the way that she gets that name is like so funny to me. Mm-hmm. She's like she's so petty. I love it. So she was actually the first woman to bicycle the earth. Okay. Around the earth. <laughs> oh, my God. On June 25th, 1894, Annie Cohen Kupchowski, a young mother of three small children, she was standing before a crowd of 500 friends, family, suffragists, and curious onlookers at the Massachusetts State House. She claimed that she could circle the world, and nobody believed her. So she was armed with a pearl-handed revolver, she climbed onto a 42-pound climbing bicycle, and she said, peace out, and she sailed away, quote, like a kite down Beacon Street. Amazing. I have the funny part is about this. There, there's no like reason why she said she could do this. Like I never found out why this was a bet, why this happened. Just for fun. Just, yeah, she's like, I just, I just want to do it. So, 15 months later, the New York World called it the quote most extraordinary journey ever undertaken by a woman. Quote. So the trip was pur- purportedly. I've, I had that word in mind I hate too. That. Hold on, let me erase that. I also had that, that word, word in mind <laughs> like a lot. Why does that remind me of a dolphin? Purportedly. Porpoise. Porpoise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the trip was set in motion by this really random wager that required Annie not only to circle the earth by bicycle, which is already hard enough. Yeah, where the in, fuck she go? <laughs> in only 15 months, but to earn $5,000 in route as well. Mm-hmm. So she needed to collect money while she was biking. And if she did it, at the end, she would win a $10,000 prize, which was an enormous sum of money back then um, that would await her if she if she did it. So this was the, a test of, of her physical endurance and mental fortitude, but it was also a test of her ability to fend for herself. Like, this was, like, totally unheard of, right? Yeah. So Annie basically said, okay, I'm going to do it, and she turned every single, like, Victorian notion of, like, what a woman is supposed to do and, like, female propriety on its head. So she abandoned her role of wife and mother um, and rode a man's bicycle attired in a man's riding suit around the world. 
And she earned that $5,000 that she wagered um, by selling photographs of herself. So she <laughs> she would go to different places, sell <laughs> photographs of herself as an attraction in stores. And she also turned herself into a mobile billboard. So she would, like, rent space on her body and her bicycle yeah. to advertise, um, have advertisers basically benefit from her, her spectacle. <gasps> Today's bike ride is sponsored by HelloFresh. <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> like, I love literally. that. Literally. Um, and I love that it, like, is on her body, too. <laughs> yeah. So I just think that's so funny. Um, and the reason she got her name Annie Londonderry was because her first sponsor was the Londonderry Lithia Spring Water Company from mm. New Hampshire, and they paid her $100 to click, carry a placard on her bike with the company name and to use the name Annie Londonderry while she was on her trip. I mean, slay. So she did it. She actually did it. Girl. She got the $5,000. She biked around the world in 15 months. Um, she reinvented herself as a new woman, so she was a daring globetrotter, she was a daring adventurer, and she became one of the most celebrated women of the 1890s. Holy shit. I, honestly, what's funny about all of, all of these stories is that, like, women are like, I wanted to do this thing, so I abandoned my husband and children. <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> I just did it. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I should be mad about that, but also, that, that was shit men were doing yeah. at the time, too, so fuck them. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> I just think it is so funny, and like I said, there's, there's no article that I could find. If somebody does find it, please email us, but that why like why i think sometimes you just get a, like a, a bug and you're yeah. like i gotta do something you know well it's probably one of those things like if you tell me i can't i'm gonna do it tenfold yeah so, yeah thank you because i know how bad it is now how much rage just motivates me to do shit <laughs> yeah. as a woman i can't imagine what it must have been like back then back then i know because it's so much worse like everything about you is monitored and controlled and Mm-mm. Yeah, and Annie said, "All right, well, I'm gonna take my little pearl handle revolver, and I'm gonna go set set wheels yeah. around the world." I mean, if anything, this research has just told me that these women were literally just like you and me. Like this, that Victoria Claffin in that last one, like she just like me for real. <laughs> you know, like, I would have done all that shit too. Yeah. And it's like the, their ideals are 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 very similar. And you know, we often think about people who live that far back in time to have been so stoic, or you know. I guess conservative to that degree, but they weren't. Yeah, it's just you know the the way that like pictures were taken or like the way articles were written or who was in charge of writing stuff. Right. You know? I know, and I always I, I always question like if I was born in the, in the, these time periods, like would I be one of like the society women or would I be someone who like pushed back? A, a little bit of both. A little bit of a little bit of both. Because I kind of do want to be like fancy and dainty, but I also kind of like think it's badass to ride your bike around the world. So you I don't can, know. You can do both. True. You know, it's nothing stopping you, Bring bitch. some deodorant to prevent your thighs from chafing mm-hmm. on the bike, and you mm-hmm. can do both. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Fat girl in the summertime tip. <laughs> Monistat works better than deodorant. Wait, yeah, okay, this is a product made for women by women for everything, and I swear by this, you need a... Like a primer for your makeup, Monistat, the same ingredients as Smashbox fo- photo finish. You're kidding. I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's also a, a like a silicone-based like cream, so it helps with chafing. It's what it's supposed to be used for, but if you use it on your legs, it works better and stays longer than deodorant. You're welcome. Wow. Um, please you learn something new every day. Please sponsor me. <laughs> I wonder, I, would you like sponsoring on your body? Monistat. <laughs> Literally, I, I, you know, like my big fat Greek wedding, the dad's like Windex, put some Windex. Yeah. I'm like that with Monistat. <laughs> it works for everything. I always keep that motherfucking thing that on me. That is good to know. Yeah. Okay. Moving right along. So my number five is someone who's, um, kind of somebody that was like a society woman that kind of pushed back kind of like you were you're talking about so this is someone who i've always been fascinated with i knew about her before i did this um research but it was really fun to read all about her so somebody i like to talk about is um alice roosevelt longworth you know about her Mm-mm. 
Cool. Fa- yeah, well, she was uh, Teddy Roosevelt's daughter. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, so thus the name. But let's let's get into this gig. So Alice Roosevelt was born the only daughter to Theodore Roosevelt and his first wife, Alice Hathaway Lee, um, who he loved desperately. Um, two days after giving birth on Valentine's Day in 1884, Hathaway did die of kidney failure that went undetected thanks to the pregnancy on the fourth anniversary of their engagement. And the same day, Teddy's mother died. So, oh, wow. So tragic. Literally. Um, Teddy was fucked up in the head about it yeah, for a while. I was going to say, it's not even one of those like marriages where they don't really like each other. Like, no. They were really in love and she just died. Yep. So... Uh, though a then 25-year-old Teddy had named his little girl for his wife, he was so overcome with grief that he could not call his daughter by her name, uh, Alice Lee, and insisted on calling her Baby Lee. Uh, so not only would Roosevelt never say Alice again, he would never even let anyone else say it around yeah, him either. <laughs> yeah, so. Ther- I wish therapy was it was a thing back then. <laughs> well, Ooh. Teddy Roosevelt's an interesting guy, and yeah. it's not surprising because if you have someone who's so obsessed with being masculine, it's him. He used to walk around the White House in a samurai suit. Did you know that? <laughs> no. That fits, though. Yeah, that tracks. Crazy bitch. He's never going to therapy. No, he true. He's like, why would I do that when That's I could feminine. just be a samurai about yeah. it? <laughs> so, um, anyway, imagine that being your father. Following such a tragic beginning, Alice Roosevelt's early years were lonely and isolated. Poor baby. Um, Teddy took off for his ranch in the Badlands in North Dakota and left his daughter with her with his sister, um, Anna, who had a huge influence on her due to her strong and independent nature. So Alice Roosevelt would come to emulate those characteristics as she herself started growing into an outspoken young woman. When Teddy returned and married his high school sweetheart, Edith Caro, the new family moved to Long Island, where Teddy and Caro had five more kids and tension between Teddy and his new wife and eldest daughter began. Long Island. Literally. Wow. Um, it's interesting because there was tension definitely between Alice and Edith, but, you know, later on in Alice's life, she did show appreciation for her stepmother. But, you know, any fucking teenager and her stepmom oh are going to yeah. be like... Yeah. Anyway, so it was said that Carol was deeply jealous of Roosevelt's past relationship with his first wife and took out these insecurities and frustrations on Alice. Um, she even once angrily told the girl that if her mother had lived, that she would have bored Teddy to death. <gasps> yeah. Oh, Wow. We don't attack the first wife like that. Uh Uh-huh. No, girl. Uh, Matters only worsened between the two as baby Lee grew into an attractive young woman. Um, So, meanwhile, Teddy, too, grew distant from his daughter, who was often angered by her father's refusal to call her by name. She's like, fuck you, dad. Yeah, and, like, she's probably asking about her mom, and he won't even talk about it. Yeah. She consequently felt removed from him and believed that he preferred her half-siblings with Caro over her. At the same time, Alice uh, began, or became... Ever more strong-willed and fiercely independent, which we can only see where this is going. Um, Carol could not control her and implored Teddy to send the teenage girl to a boarding school in New York City. The fiery young woman replied to her father by writing the following. I love this quote. If you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you. I tell you, I will. (laughs) I love that so much. She's like, don't fucking fuck with me. I will humiliate you. Oh, my gosh. Um, Alice Roosevelt was against marriage in general. She did end up marrying, but as a young woman, she distrusted men. Slay. She was headstrong, and she regarded herself as a solitary woman in her own right. But her strong personality and then shocking single-woman lifestyle became great fodder for gossip and high-society magazines. Of course. So she became a celebrity. Um, 
Teddy himself was somewhat ashamed of his daughter's behavior, and the two were at constant odds with each other about the trajectory of her life, as she had quickly become the antithesis for what a young woman of her time was supposed to be. Meanwhile, Teddy took the presidency in, in 1901, and now in the public eye more than ever before, Alice Roosevelt immediately <laughs> became one of the first and biggest celebrities of the early 20th century. Um, when asked about his daughter's behavior, Teddy is quoted saying, I can be president of the United States, or I can attend to Alice. I cannot possibly do both. <laughs> Full-time job. Yeah, he was like, so I will not be doing that. Um, what's interesting about this, this is just an aside, but, like, when Alice was, like, she came out in society, she was wearing this, like, blue-gray dress that people loved so much on her that it became known as Alice Blue. It's still called that today. Oh. It's actually the same color as Alice's dress in Alice in Wonderland in the Disney movie. Oh. Which is a fun little fact, wow. right? So, um, mm. it's also, subsequently, my favorite color. You're wearing it today. I am. So, there you go. Um, let's see. A year into her father's term in 1902, she christened Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany's yacht and captured the eye of the world. She was like, oh, the Kaiser's here? Let me go break a bottle of champagne on his boat. And then Kaiser named the boat after her. <laughs> um, and then he also installed a photo of her in the ship. So, like, a painting, which I love that. But it basically just, like, announced her to the whole world. So everyone's like, who's this bitch? I have to know everything about and her. And announced her as Alice. Yeah. Right? Like her yeah. own dad wouldn't even call her that. Now she has mm-hmm. a yacht named after her. Yeah. That's pretty badass. I know. Um, so she both ignored and was irritated by the media's attention and her cool attitude only caused much of the public to fall more in love with her. <laughs> um, she has become one of the most regarded women in the world, the Tribune wrote of the then 17-year-old, nicknaming her Princess Alice, which I love. Um, so... <laughs> She's crazy. The papers were then okay. Let's see. Were then where she became the first woman. Or wow, let me try that again. The papers were there when she became the first woman to drive the forty-five mile in a car from Newport to Boston. They saw her as she raced said car up and down the streets of Washington, smoking publicly <laughs> and often on the roof of the White House. <laughs> um, she would chew gum. She played poker, wore pants, partied all night with the Vanderbilts. Why are these men? <laughs> <laughs> not, the, not musk um and she slept till noon which people hated she, <laughs> on her person at all times she kept a dagger a copy of the constitution and her pet snake named emily spinach <laughs> her snake's name was emily spinach yeah because she had like an aunt she wanted to piss off named emily and then it was green so she named it emily spinach <laughs> I love Alice. I, I do, too. Um, her father lamented how her shenanigans would even appear before real news in the paper. Um, she even went so far as to phone tips about her own whereabouts to the paper so that she could receive cash rewards for the information, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is so funny. Um, uh, the New York Herald printed a running score of her social life over the course of one 15-month period, which included 407 dinners, 350 balls, 300 parties, 680 teas and 1,706 social calls. <laughs> this bitch was out and about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Booked him flush. <laughs> she booked him busy for sure. Um, she would be banned from the White House twice. <laughs> once after her um, father left office in, or in 1909, uh, once for burying a voodoo doll of Secretary of War Wilhelm Howard Taft's wife <laughs> in the yard. <laughs> And a second time for consequently bad mouthing the new president Woodrow Wilson. I will humiliate you. I will. I will shame you. Yeah. I, will. I love her so much. Um, both despite and because of this, many young women viewed Alice Roosevelt as the future of their gender and cheered for her whenever she passed on the streets and pressed up against her car as if she were a superstar on the red carpet. Which, like me too. Um, 
she became one of the faces of like the new woman movement, which I uh, agreed. Me too. I yeah. love you so much. While on tour in Asia in 1905 uh, with Taft, Alice Roosevelt met her future husband, Congressman Nicholas Longworth. <laughs> this is funny. Um, Longworth was a wealthy womanizer and a staple of the social scene in Washington. And Alice Roosevelt, more or less, quote, fell in love with him. <laughs> She's, like, She's I, like, what you doing? I like it. <laughs> She's like, I more or less fell in love with him. What's really funny is like on the trip home, she didn't really give a shit about him. She was way more concerned with trying to beat the Japan to New York travel time record than she did. <laughs> What is with these women and, like, trying to beat these travel records? I love it. I I think it's great. Um, So they married in the White House in 1906. Alice Roosevelt, true to her form, cut her wedding cake with a sword when the knife didn't work. (laughs) She's like, give me that shit. Um, Both Alice Alice and Nicholas partied often and had various indiscretions, even shortly after the honeymoon, though they remained married until Nicholas's death in uh, 1931. Uh, However... Alice Roosevelt Longworth had begun a significant relationship with Senator William Borah in the 1920s and maintained that the daughter she bore in 1925, her only child, uh, Paulina, was even his, even nicknaming her Deborah, Deborah, (laughs) like (laughs) Deborah, (laughs) which is so funny. Um, (laughs) So her relationship with Nicholas also suffered dramatically when in an election against her father, she supported Teddy rather than her Republican husband. (laughs) He's like, ah, fuck you. Um, Alice Roosevelt Longworth became known for her impetuous and biting manners. She had a needlepoint pillow, which had the fa- has the famous quote on it. You probably didn't know this was hers. It says, if you haven't got anything nice to say about anyone, come here and sit by me. So that was it. Oh, that's her. OK. Yeah. <laughs> um, she did remain active in politics and served on the National Board of Directors of America First, which was a committee dedicated to keeping the U.S. neutral during World War II until Pearl Harbor. Um while voicing her opinions on matters of national importance loudly in print and in person. She's friends with the Kennedys, Nixons, the Johnsons, you know, the usual crap. Yeah. Um, later, Alice stayed active in causes important to the American American women. Um, when asked her opinion on the sexual revolution, that she'd always lived by the old adage of, quote, fill what's empty, empty what's full, and scratch where it itches. <laughs> um after a double, I, <laughs> I do too. This is why she's on my list. I, I had to. After a double mastectomy and health problems throughout her 80s, she died at the age of 96 on February 20th, 1980, which is a, very close to her birthday. Um, upon her death, President Carter's official statement said she had style, she had grace, and she had a sense of humor that kept generations of political newcomers of Washington wondering which was worse: to be skewered by her wit or to be ignored by her. <laughs> And um, honestly, my hero. Yeah. <laughs> I love her so much. I love her too. Right? And I'm about to read more about her. Oh, yeah. And, I'm, and it blows my mind that people, like, at least our age, don't know about mm-hmm. her. Because Teddy Roosevelt like, is a pretty you know, notable figure. Yeah. I feel like we should know all about her, but there you go. Wow. My fave. Alice. My fave. I love her. I would name my kid Alice if my mom hadn't named her Yorkie Alice. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'll get over it. I'm still not over Emily Spinach. I don't think I'll ever be over that. <laughs> oh. Okay, so mine is really short, my number four, mm-hmm. but it, it's just one paragraph, but there's not much about about her. So, mm-hmm. so this is Cthulhu. Have you ever heard of her? I think so, yeah, but okay. I want to know everything. So she is known as the Wrestler Princess. Swag. <laughs> Swagoo. <laughs> She's born in 1260 and raised with 14 brothers. Holy shit. She's the only daughter. Okay. She was a Mongol noblewoman and wrestler. So she was the daughter of Kaidu Khan and the great-great-granddaughter of Genghis Khan and the cousin of Kublai Khan. Jesus. Okay. So lots going on there. 
Um, she accompanied her father on all of his military campaigns, and he battled a lot. She battled alongside him against Kublai Khan, and she was an absolute badass warrior. Marco Polo actually like came across her during his travels and wrote about his encounters with her, and says, "quote She can ride into enemy ranks and snatch a captive as easily as a hawk snatches a chicken." <laughs> And, quote, so well-made in all her limbs and so tall and strongly built that she might almost be taken for a giantess. Adding that she was, quote, so strong that there was no young man in the whole kingdom who could overcome her, but she vanquished them all. End quote. So the interesting thing about her is not only was she a badass warrior, but when the time came for her to be of marrying age, she actually insisted that any man who was interested in marrying her must beat her in a wrestling match. <laughs> Mommy, <laughs> step on me. Yeah, I'm just imagining those giant tests being like, if you guys want to marry me, you have to beat me in a wrestling match. And of course, all the men thought that they could do it, right? Of course. So in order to wrestle with her, her suitors had to wager horses for the opportunity to literally fight for her love. Um, if she lost, she would marry them. And if she won, she would take their horses. Thank you. She never lost. And it is said that she gathered a herd of over 10,000 horses. And that's who inspired Cal Drogo in American <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yes, yeah. Also, I mean, and the way that she's kind of described is like the original Mulan. Yeah. Like, now, I know yeah. Mulan is like kind of a love story, but like as far as the ba- going to the battlefield with her dad and things like that, she was like the original. Mulan was a real person, though, right? I don't think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I'm, I'm almost positive. Cause, Let me Google. Because I think... We'll cut this if she has... In in elementary school, you were supposed to dress up as a famous person from history. Oh, who am Mulan? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well then, can we can we cut that part? She's she's like a Mulan esque bitch, you know. That's pretty cool. Well, I guess she could still be the original Mulan, even Mulan was a real person. Yeah, who cares? She's, she's cut the whole Mulan. She's thing. just like a badass. We love we'll her. Just cut it. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. That's short because it was 1260. There's not oh, a lot yeah. about her, but... That's so cool, though. I think it's fun when women kick men's asses. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I love when that happens. Because, uh, you know, it doesn't happen often. No. But when it does, it's very sweet. Uh, how tall was she, did they say? I didn't say. Mm-mm. Big as fuck, though. Yeah. It sounded like Christopher Columbus was kind of into her. <laughs> Marco Polo? Or Marco Polo, yeah. Yeah, yeah a little bit. He was like, she is so well-built. Yeah. There's apparently a Netflix show that's about Marco Polo, and she's actually featured in it. Oh, shit. But they have, like, a love story in it. So As they should. I mean, who knows? It might be. <sighs> Did he ever wrestle her? No. Never wrestled I think her. That that, I he think... didn't want to marry her, so he was like, he just talked about her like she was a badass. I would have tried. I would have tried. Step on me, mommy. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> moving on then. Um, my number four is somebody who I hadn't known of, uh, Kate Warren. Know this name? Is that Kiss and Kate? No. No. Okay. It's then no, I don't know. Kate Warren or Kate Warney. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. spelled W-A-R-N-E. Um, I got the notes on this also from uh, womenshistoryblog.com. Thank you. Thank you, womenshistoryblog.com. <laughs> um, you're hooking it up. This bitch, I had no idea about her story, but it is so cool. They should make a movie about it. It's got everything. It's got intrigue. It's got action. It's got romance. Okay. Ooh, okay. All right. So. Not much is known about her prior to the day she walked into the Pinkerton National Detective Agency in 1856. She walked in like a bad case. Or like, what does he say? What do they say in those like noir films? She walked in like a bad case of the whatever, you know, the bad out of hell. Yeah, there something. you go. Yeah. Anyway, so she walked into this uh, detective also, agency. I just had to Google it. I was like, where did I get Kiss and Kate from? It's from Holes. Yeah, like, Kiss and Kate Barlow. ignore everything I say to um, Sexual awakening for many of us. I bet you she's based off somebody, though. I guarantee. Um, yeah, who, who? Patricia Arquette, I think, played her in that movie. She looks so good. 
Anyway. Yeah, it doesn't look like, I don't know, it doesn't look like she's based. There's gotta be, there's gotta be, like, some kind of cowgirl vigilante. There's gotta be. Like Annie Oakley, some kind of Yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Anyway. Annie, get your gun. Okay, Uh, sorry about that. Discretion. So, uh, Kate... Discretion. One, something. (laughs) (laughs) We're not even drunk this time, friends. We're just like this. Cool. Um, so she walked into the, the National Detective Agency to answer an ad in the local newspaper. Uh, Warren went to the Pinkerton Chicago office and asked to see Alan Pinkerton about a job. Who was that? The whole thing. Uh, Pinkerton himself claimed that she demanded to become a detective. So, like, he thought she was coming in to interview about being a secretary because women weren't detectives at this time. And she's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> and he's like, uh, OK. Um, so according to Pinkerton's records, he was surprised to learn Kate was not looking for a clerical work, but was actually answering an advertisement for detectives that he had placed in Chicago's newspaper. Pinkerton said, it is not the custom to employ women detectives. Kate argued eloquently that women could be most useful in warming out secrets in many places, which would be impossible for male detectives. Um, A woman would be able to befriend the wives of girlfriends of suspected criminals and gain their confidence. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like nobody suspects them Mm -hmm. because they're women. Precisely. Okay. Her argument impressed Pinkerton, and on August 23rd... <laughs> He's like, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, crazy. On August 23rd, 1856, he employed Kate Warren over the strong objections by his brother Robert, who also was the partner in his business. Um, according to Pinkerton's family history, Alan was smitten with the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she became his mistress and traveled with him. He had had a wife and children at home, because of course. Um, <clears throat> this caused problems when his brother questioned some of the expenses she turned into the agency so like there was just a little bit of drama because he was in love with her obviously um who wouldn't be (laughs) but um thus warren became the first female private detective in the united states moreover pinkerton soon hired other females their ranks grew kate having shown pinkerton their intrinsic value to his organization um and he appointed warren supervisor of female detectives so she was head of all the squad bitches i wonder how big that department was probably not large Good morning, Sally. Is it your apartment just you? Yes, yes. Jim, but I am a lot to manage. <laughs> That's the energy. Um, so Warren became a very good private investigator and acted undercover, infiltrating social events and gathering information no man could have obtained. She wore disguises, changed her accent at will, and became a huge asset to the agency, Ooh, okay. often acquiring information through confidence she built with the wives of suspects, as she said. She's like, That's what I say. Inner circle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in early 1861, Pinkerton was hired by the president of the Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Wilmington and Baltimore Railroad to investigate damage to the railroad by, quote, roughs and secessionists, secessionists of Maryland, whatever that means. Uh, Pinkerton placed agents in various points in Maryland to investigate. As the information came in, he became increasingly aware that the activity in Maryland also included an assassination plot. Kate Warren was part of the Pinkerton team sent to Baltimore on February 3rd in 1861 that uncovered a plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln while he was changing trains in Baltimore on his way back to D.C. um, on his way to take the oath of office. This uh, sentiment there was that if Lincoln came through the city, he would leave in a casket. Right. So using the aliases Mrs. Cherry and Mrs. uh, Barley, Warren infiltrated secessionist social gatherings, posing an, as as a flirting Southern belle with a thick mm-hmm. Southern accent in places such as the classy Barnum Hotel. She discovered not only that there was a plan to assassinate Lincoln, but also the exact time and place where it was to be carried out. 
Um, the plan, she discovered, was to occur as Lincoln was passing through the narrow vestibule of the Calvert Street station in Baltimore. A fight was to be staged there in hopes that the few policemen at the depot would rush to see what the ruckus was about, thus leaving Mr. Lincoln at the mercy of the mob of secessionists who were to surround him at the time. After hearing this, Alan Pinkerton requested a meeting with Lincoln while he was still in Philadelphia, which was granted. Lincoln listened and interrupted with many questions, then placed himself in a protective custody of Pinkerton's agency to get him safely to Washington, D.C. for his inauguration. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> Warren, I'm surprised he took that meeting. Because, like, he's just getting a call from a random guy, like, you're in danger. I'd like to meet with you. I mean, like, I would yeah. be like... Hmm. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, Warren went to went on to pose as a Southern Belle yet again when she uncovered intel from wives who spoke freely about their husbands' regiments during the Civil War. She and Pinkerton often posed as husband and wife while undercover. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I wonder why. <laughs> um, Kate Warren worked on many tough cases after the war, but her two most known were murder cases. One was a combined bank robbery and murder in Mississippi. Since Pinkerton did not have enough evidence to put uh, his man suspect or his main suspect in jail, Kate became very good friends with his wife, and the <laughs> wife ended up confessing where her husband hid the money. Oh, I love that. Yeah. The other case concerned a man who thought his sister was trying to poison him. Kate disguised herself as a fortune teller and exposed the murderer, which sounds like a movie, right? I think How does that even work? I don't know. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I, a lot of, it does sound like a movie. Yeah. Uh, Kate Warren died suddenly of pneumonia on January 28th, 1868. Damn, they used to get people back then. They really did. <laughs> uh, but Pinkerton was at her bedside when she died. Oh. She was only 35 years old. Um, Damn, so young. I know. As a tribute to her service, Pinkerton allowed her to be buried in his family's private plot in Chicago Graceland Cemetery. Alan Pinkerton was later buried beside her. <laughs> wow, even though he has a wife and kids? Uh-huh. Ooh. Uh-huh. It is believed that Pinkerton came up with the company logo for his agency, which is a giant eye with the motto, We Never Sleep, because Kate Warren never left Lincoln's side the night she escorted him to Washington, D.C. for his inauguration. Americans soon became familiar with the motto and the graphic of the alert eye studying them from the pages of magazines, circulars, newspapers, billboards, and wanted posters. The trademark spawned the term private eye. Oh, wow. I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. So there you go. I think I'm learning so much. This is like it literally gives movie plot. Like yeah. these two people falling in love while they're like helping to uncover an assassination right. plot and like going undercover, ha- having to be man and wife, and like it's so it's so good. That's right? really cool. I yeah. know. I'm like, why is this, there not a movie about this? Oh my god, there should be. All of these women in, in like at least in my top five. I'm like, where is the movie? Yeah, where is it? Because I would I would be sad. I know. And Hollywood's like remaking Jurassic Park I'm for tired. the twentieth time. I'm <laughs> fucking tired. That's what I'm saying. When people are talking about history, I don't care about like war is interesting, sure, but like this is the side of yeah. war that I find fascinating. Yeah. Okay, can we get it? Get on it. Get it going. You know, Total Spies was actually based on her story. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Clover. <laughs> or no, Totally Spies, sorry. Um, okay, my number three is a little bit different because she's... I'll just tell you about her. Mm-hmm. Her name is Mary Frith. Okay, I don't know this one. So she was born in 1584, and she was born near St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And she is the unusual one on my list because she's basically famous for being a smoking, thieving, foul-mouthed person. Swag. <laughs> why, am, why am I saying swag? Swag. Uh, Got the swag. Saw some dripping swag. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. So she acquired a reputation as a tom rig, which was a tomboy, or a hoyden, which is a boisterous girl mm-hmm. in her neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So the Newgate Calendar, which was a series of 18th and 19th century criminal biographies named for Newgate Prison in London, would later, later talk about her in this way. 
She was above all breeding and instruction. She was a very tomrig or hoyden, like I said, and delighted only in boys' play and pastime, not minding or accompanying with the girls. Many a bang and blow this hoiding procured her, but she was not so to be tamed or taken off from her rude inclinations. She could not endure that sedentary life of sewing or stitching. A sampler was as grievous to her as a winding sheet, and on her needle, bodkin, and thimble, she could not think quietly, wishing them changed into sword and dagger for about at cudgels. Exactly. I say that all the time. I know. I mean, you know? that's it sounds like Arya Stark. We're making a lot of Game of Thrones comparisons yeah, yeah. tonight, friends. <laughs> we are. Um, so as she grew up, Mary got into more and more trouble. At 16, which is a pretty young age, she was charged with stealing two shillings. So her uncle was actually a pastor, and he tried to like remedy the situation by sending her to America for a fresh start. She got on board and pretended like she was all along with the plot, but then she jumped overboard and swam ashore before the ship set sail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Mary kept getting into trouble and eventually got her nickname Mole Cut Purse by stealing purses in the area around St. Paul's Cathedral. So Mole was kind of like a double entendre, so it was a nickname for Mary, but also back then it was a term for disreputable young women, so like a gangster's mole. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So with this cut pursing, uh, an accomplice would distract the target while Mary cut the strings of their purse, detaching it from their belt. And she would just take everything <laughs> Thank in you. it. Thank you. So <laughs> That's much. so funny. She was in and out of prison, and she was even burnt severely on the hand oh, four shit. times, which back then was, like, a pretty common pu- punishment for Very thieves. Um, one of her other roles as she started to grow up was as a pimp and a go-between. Yikes. So she used to find young women to be mistresses for men and men to be lovers for married women. She became a super reg- recognizable figure around St. Paul's Cathedral, and she drank in taverns, she smoked a long clay pipe, and she wore men's clothing. So I wrote down some notable stories about Mary because there are many. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mary's choice of clothing, because her dressing as a man, obviously carried consequences. Because back then, that was a no-no. I mean, yeah, keep right. in mind, this was like, 50, what did I say, 1584. <laughs> Definitely a no-no. Jeez. King James was so mad by her cross-dressing <laughs> that on Christmas Day of 1611, she was arrested and sent to Bridewell Prison. She was tried for, quote, wearing indecent and manly apparel, end quote. So after that sentence was served at Bridewell Prison, she was made to wear a white sheet at the open-air pulpit of St. Paul's Cross during the Sunday sermon, which was meant to humiliate her. So basically, uh, like, shame, shame, like yeah, a white sheet, right? Good. T- it sucks for you. I look amazing in white. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is what she said about it. Quote, They might as soon as shamed a black dog as me with any kind of such punishment for saving the reverence due to those who enjoined it. For a half penny, I would have traveled to all the market towns in England with it. End quote. She didn't give a fuck about anything. I look fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for this, like this costume. This white sheet is dog. I stand by the fact that anything's worth doing if they give you a little costume for yeah. it, to yes, be fair. Agreed. So another notable story is that Mary's friend, he was a showman in town. His name was William Banks. He once bet her 20 pounds that she would not ride from Charing Cross to Shoreditch dressed as a man. She's like, that's like not a big deal at all. <laughs> it's a Tuesday. She said, okay. And she even bought a trumpet and a banner to go along with it. <laughs> she said, I'm here. I love it. Um, so another notable story is obviously by doing crim- basically crime as a living sh- and being a pimp and a pickpocket and all that stuff, she eventually like had enough money to buy her own house, mm. which it's rumored she adorned with mirrors to stroke her vanity. And she had a ton of mastiffs that each had their own bed with sheets and pillows like a human. I love it. <laughs> yeah, bitch. Yeah. yeah. So she continued her life of crime until eventually she passed away from dropsy, which is now known as edema, which is fluid trapped in the body, as oh, we know. Um, she was buried in the churchyard of St. Brides on Fleet Street, and this is my favorite part. Before her death, she instructed her niece, Frances Edmonds, to pay extra for her to be <laughs> buried among the rich and prestigious. Thank you so much. <laughs> I honestly, same. <laughs> a legend in life and death. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's so Mary funny. Frith. 
I love that. I love her. Okay, that one is that like your oldest one? I guess no. The the twelve sixty is probably the oldest. Yeah, twelve. Yeah. There's more information about Mary because it was like obviously <laughs> when documents were kept. So. Oh sure. <laughs> yeah. Cash, because that's that's fun. I feel like most of mine are from right around the same like the eighteen eighties ish. Yeah. I I just found so many women that were interesting. That my next one is a little bit more now time, but yeah. I, I when you find the super old ones, you're like fuck yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But, um. Okay. My next one is my second one, and it's from right around the 60s to the 2000s, and this is uh, Pulan Devi, the bandit queen of India. <clears throat> Ooh, intriguing already. Okay. Uh-huh. So this one can can get a little sad, so a little trigger warning for some sexual assault, guys. I'm going to let you know if you want to skip ahead. That's okay. Um, I got my notes from the University of Birmingham, um, author Isabel Locke, and fascinating story. I'd never heard of this person ever in my life. <laughs> So, um, Pulan Devi's life, which went from 1963 till 2001, was not one filled with sunshine and rainbows. In fact, uh, it's kind of hard to read about sometimes. So, she was sold to a husband at 11 Oof. to start off, which is rough. Um, and this is in India? Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and she had the, quote, audacity to walk away from this marriage. Oh, dear. And she returned home only to be told that she'd brought shame to her family for doing that. Um, she was then sexually assaulted by a team of police as well um, as having relentless rumors hounding her of the false claims that she was a prostitute. Like, people were abusing her and, yeah, oh just awful, awful yeah. time. Um, Pulan Devi refused to remain quiet about these injustices, though, thank God. And in doing so, she was kidnapped, <laughs> which... Wow. Right, crazy. So, like, this is... You know, I don't think many people would have gotten through this situation because she was like, fuck you, I'm going to, I'm going to thrive. So, um, this was a major turning point for her. Uh, and instead of being beaten or killed, Pulan actually managed to befriend the second in command of the gang that had kidnapped her, uh, to protect her. This man, his name was Vikram, <laughs> killed the leader of the gang, uh, in turn and became the leader himself of the bandits and Pulan rose in power with him. So, wow. Yeah, it was a turn of events that, like, nobody could have expected. And she just was like, I'm, I got this bitch. Um, so, thus resulting in the start of Pulan's life as an infamous bandit in India and gaining the reputation among her subordinates as being the reincarnation of the goddess Durga, who is the female epitome of strength. I guess I don't I don't know much about that, but, yeah, I, I think that's cool. Uh, so, involving herself in all sorts of crimes, such as kidnappings, as well as holding up and robbing trains, and even exacting revenge on the men that had wronged her in her life, which I love. Yes. However, this not, did not last. Vikram was killed, and Pulan was taken for three weeks, um, where she was again assaulted uh, daily. Uh, eventually escaping, Pulan disappeared off the map until 17 months later, where she, yet again, exacted revenge on the men that had wronged her. Uh, with her own new gang. <laughs> so wow. she's like, I'm going on a murder spree. It's giving Rosalie from Twilight. Um, I was literally <clears throat> just thinking that. Yeah. I was like, I cannot make another reference. <laughs> <about Twilight." laughs> so somebody had to. Uh, and who, like, who's in Twilight again? Uh, is that it, main guy? I think his name is like Robert something. Robert Pattinson? Yeah! yeah. There it is. <laughs> anyway. We're back. <laughs> um... It did not end there. Uh, Pulan Devi became known as the modern-day female Robin Hood. She was notorious for stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, freeing women from enslavement and having no mercy for rapists, period. Yeah. Um, she was responsible for the massacre of 22 men in uh, Bemai, the village where she had been held captive. For two years, she avoided the the manhunt for her capture until she surrendered in February of 1883. Uh, or sorry, 1983, sorry. 
when she heard the man who killed Vikram and assaulted her was dead. So she turned herself in when that guy wow. died. She's like, all right. She's like, I've done my job. Yeah. Wow. Um, she was in prison for 11 years until she was pardoned and then ultimately decided to become a politician, which she succeeded at. Um, Wait, what? Yeah. Huh. Become Talk about skeletons <laughs> in the closet. I know. She was like, listen, I turned myself in. Yeah. I did what I did it's for a reason. Okay. Um, becoming one of the few politicians to have derived from a low caste, yeah. which is like a pretty much unheard of. Yeah, I was going to say. Unfortunately, Poulan Devi's life was cut short when in revenge for the massacres of Bemai, she was assassinated in the street in 2001. Oh. Yeah, that's the problem with becoming like a public figure. Yeah. Um, this is not a very happy, fun story, uh, but it's a story worth sharing. Uh, like for Devi was a, a woman who represents many others in India being low caste women who seemed powerless. Devi was different because she fought outside of the law in order to enact what she saw as justice. And I think that that's just really cool. She's just the, this legend of the bandit queen who was like, fuck you, yeah. fuck what you want me to do and fuck everybody who's tried to hurt me. And I'm going to make a difference. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's what, that's how you make the best out of the worst situation. But fucking legendary. I had yeah. to put her as number two. Cause I was like, damn, that's, Tough yeah. shit. Oh my gosh, what a life! <laughs> I know, right? Wow. So not to be a bummer, but like I had to, I had to share because wow. Yeah. Well, speaking of taking revenge, yes, I have my number two, um, and I, I might butcher this. Um, our sisters, actually. Oh yeah. Freddie and Truce Overstegen. Overstegen. Oh, they're Dutch. Fun. Okay. <clears throat> so. Freddie and her sister Truss were born in Harlem, Netherlands, and were just 16 and 14 years old, respectively, when World War II broke out, which, as we all remember, is 1939. Mm -hmm. um, they grew up with a single working-class mother, and they were poor. And eventually, that whole family, so all the sisters and their mother, became involved in resistance efforts. Freddie would block the view of her sister Truss, putting resistance posters all over town, and Truce would distract people while Freddie shoved resistance newspapers into their bags. As you do. <laughs> the fact that they were both really young girls, and Freddie actually looked even younger when she wore braids, meant that officials were totally unlikely to suspect them of working for the resistance mm -hmm. or having anything to do with it. And this is probably one of the reasons why, in 1941, a commander approached them from the Harlem Renaissance... Excuse me, Harlem Renaissance, Harlem Resistance. There you group. go. There you go. She got there. Freddie and Slip um, visited their house to ask their mother if they could they could recruit Freddie and Truce. Their mother consented because their mom was a badass bitch. Hell yeah! And the sisters agreed to join. But later, after they agreed to join, they were actually filled in on what they'd be doing. So mm. it like wasn't as innocent as spreading resistance newspapers. But yeah. instead, they would have to sabotage bridges, sabotage railway lines, and shoot Nazis. <gasps> they'd be the ones to kill them. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, that's cool, though. Really cool. But together, the <clears throat> sisters, and later with a young woman named Hanny Shaft, which is, um, she's actually more famous. Mm -hmm. she's, she's known as, um, she had red hair, and she's like a symbol for World War II. Mm -hmm. So definitely read up on her if you've never mm -hmm. heard of her. But I didn't pick Hanny because she's a little bit more famous mm -hmm. than the sisters are. But this trio, so the two <laughs> sisters and Hanny, they ambushed and killed German Nazis and their Dutch collaborators. Um, in, a, in a few instances, Truce seduced officers into the woods so that someone from the resistance could shoot him. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, the sisters eventually began to go on assassination missions completely by themselves. And later on, they focused on killing Dutch collaborators who arrested or endangered Jewish refugees and resistance members. So they don't talk about or it's unknown how many people they killed during their time with the resistance. But both of them had to deal with the really long term effects of doing something like this yeah, and like shit. PTSD, yeah. nightmares, all of that stuff. Fuck. Both women died at the age of 92, which I think is, like, 
incredible that they lived that long. Um, yeah. So Truce died in 2016, and Freddie died on September 5th, 2018, one day before she turned 93. Jeez. Throughout much of their long lives, the Netherlands actually failed to properly recognize any of their achievements and kind of just push them off to the side as communist. Mm -hmm. But in 2014, they finally received national recognition for their service by receiving the War Mobilization Cross, and each has had a street named after them. Wow. Yeah. They seem so cool. Really cool. 93, so they both live to be the same age. Both live to be the same age. And when they started assassinating Nazis, Mm -hmm. they were 18 and 16, respectively. That's so Cool. I know. <laughs> they're like cool. They're like Powerpuff Girls of Nazi assassination. Yeah. Yeah. I fuck with it. I was reading a few interviews <laughs> with them because they're like they're fairly well known, but yep. not as well known as um, the other person that I mm-hmm. mentioned. And they basically said that like this is not a life that we wanted. Like it's not. We don't want to be the people that assassinate. But at a certain point, it becomes like doing the the right thing versus the wrong thing. It's and they're like, this is what we had to do. Damn. So. That's so intense. I That's kind of like you know my last person who oh, by the way was my third, not my second. I have two more. Um, that, you know, sometimes they're like, this isn't the best thing. Like, right. killing people is not awesome. Like, they know it's wrong, but it's like, somebody's got to fucking right. do it, you know? Exactly. And so, like, yeah, I, I I love that shit. All right. So, oh, also, I meant to yeah. say this earlier, and it reminds me every time you say it, because you're smart and you say it in the beginning. I have so many links mm-hmm. that I'll just have to send, and we can put in the show notes for yeah. the where I got this information from. I, oh, my gosh, yeah, because I try to say it off the top just because I know I will forget. Yeah. And I'm like... Ugh. Uh, so the next person I have is actually, I got my notes from Atlas Obscura. The author's name is, um, Irv, Irvija Banerji. Anyway. Thanks, homie. Thanks, homie. Um, we're going to talk about this person who has several names, but, uh, is most known by the name Xing Shi or her real name, which was, um, Yang, Yang Yisao. So, uh, Chinese woman, <clears throat> but so cool. Oh my God. This bitch, I could not not mentioned okay i feel like when you're looking up like badass women in history people don't know about a lot of pirates come up there's quite a few female yeah. pirates mm-hmm. but this she is considered the best pirate of all time oh i love a pirate story yeah okay yeah. so she actually inspired a character from um pirates of the caribbean mistress ching um oh. yeah you know when they're all voting to be like pirate king or whatever mm-hmm. that's who she's based off of oh, okay. so Really cool. Um, so, at the dawn of the 19th century, a former prostitute from the floating brothel in the city of Canton was wed to Cheng, uh, Cheng the First, a fearsome pirate who operated in the South China Sea in the Qing Dynasty. So, her name was Yang Yi Sao, also known as Xing Shi, a name that simply means Cheng's widow. So, it's crazy that that's the name <laughs> wow. she goes by yeah. in time because she would go on to accomplish much, much more than he ever did. Yeah. Um, so, when... Yeah, she would go on to accomplish more than her husband when she succeeded him and uh, commanded over 1,800 pirate ships and estimated 18,000 men. Whoa. Sorry, not 18,000. Uh, 80,000 men. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to go down in number, not up. 18 no. to 80. 80,000 oh men. In comparison, the famed Blackbeard commanded four ships and 300 pirates. How are we not talking about her? That's what I'm fucking saying, right? Anything you can do, I can do better. And I can do it 18 (laughs) times better. It's so crazy. I cannot believe more people don't know about her. So um, there's an author of a book called Pirate Women, the Princesses, Prostitutes, and Privateers Who Ruled the Seven Seas. Um, An alliteration. Yeah, right. Her name's uh, Laura Souk Duncombe. She said that she was absolutely unquestionably the greatest pirate who ever lived. 
She pirated longer, she made more money, she surrendered of her own free will, and got to keep her money and live out the rest of her days in freedom, as opposed to being cornered and murdered by a government like Blackbeard was. Yeah. She was like, like walking the plank. She was like, I'm gonna do it all my own time. She's like, I think I'm done with it. And then I'm telling you, women are the most effective leaders. I, I know. like <laughs> I know. Like every single woman on this list has been like, I did go to jail and yeah. then I finished it, and it's because I turned myself in. Yeah. So what do you want? <laughs> or I went to jail for some stupid reason, yeah. like calling out a pedophile. Yeah. Or like whatever. I just Mm. Anyway, so Ching's husband, Cheng, first was a formidable commander of the Red Flag Fleet of Pirate Ships. He had managed to unite many rival Chinese pirate organizations. Um, he married 26-year-old Xingxi uh, in 1801, and she uh, took, took to pirate life almost immediately. She was like, this shit slaps, <laughs> um, like a fish out of water, so fish to water. The story goes that Cheng sought his bride out due to her reputation as a shrewd businesswoman. Um, oh. She was a prostitute. She'd made lots of money where she was. Um Xingxi apparently used the secrets she had learned as a sex worker to wield power over her wealthy and politically connected clients. <laughs> um, and it's rumored that Xingxi demanded equal control of the pirate fleet as a condition of her marriage to Cheng the First in 1801. Xingxi fin- was financially savvy, <laughs> certainly, um, and it became undeniable over the course of her career in piracy. So, like, yeah. that's she- a prenup you probably will never hear again. Mm-hmm. I want she- control of half. Your I'm worth half pirate, half half your pirates. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. um, six years into their marriage, Cheng the First died at the age of 42. Not much is known about how he passed away. Some accounts indicate he was killed at sea by a tsunami, while others uh, insinuate that he was murdered in Vietnam. Regardless of the circumstances, his death left Xingxi in a precarious position. Uh, Her husband's adoptive son and heir, Sheng Po Tsai, this... This is a little crazy, so pay Adopted? attention. Wow. Yeah, okay. he, had, he had an adoptive son who was an adult. Oh. <laughs> um, he was originally <laughs> the one set to inherit control of the Red Flag Fleet. So Cheng Po Tsai, however, was more than the, more than just Xing Shi's stepson. The young fisherman had also been her husband's lover. Wait. So, yeah. So Cheng the first. Something's wrong <laughs> in this picture. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so the sexual relationships between an adoptive son and father may seem unusual. It was the adoption itself was not out of place at the time. So it was often common for like, you know how people would have wards and stuff mm-hmm. to raise? In China, they would adopt adults and take them in as like, I guess, apprentices and stuff. He did the same thing. They just have the whole messing around thing. They also just happened to be fucking on the side. Okay, Okay. So, you know, things happen. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he was an adult man, though. So there's that. Um, Unlike in the West, adult adoption was often practiced in China in order to establish a kinship basis for further interaction, particularly of a business and uh, discipleship sort. So it was just like an apprenticeship thing. Um, Chang the first adopting an adolescent fisherman's son was not too out of the ordinary, but within weeks of Chang the first death, Xing Shi had taken Cheng Po Tsai for her lover as well. <laughs> She's like, I know what I have Pass to it do. Around. Yeah. Pass it around. Eventually solidifying the relationship through marriage, soon she managed to maneuver herself back into power and obtain leadership of the Red Flag Fleet through this marriage. Wow. So he was set to inherit, and she's like, listen, this is, I know how the business works, let's, you know, and I, I respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, as a woman in command of a huge pirate fleet, Xingxi um, had her work cut out for her. Unlike in the West, in South China, there's no stigma attached to women being on board a ship uh, for any fear that it was bad luck or whatever. But it would not have been easy, right, for anyone, right. much less a pirate's widow, to control that many outlaws. So quite a bit of work had to go into this. But she unified her enormous fleet of pirates using a code of laws. Um, the code was strict. 
any pirate giving his own orders or disobeying those of the their superior was beheaded immediately. <laughs> oh, damn. She's like, I don't fuck around. <laughs> Off with that head. Yeah. Uh, the code was particularly unusual in laws regarding female captives. If a pirate raped a female captive, she would be put to, or uh, he would be put to death. Good. If the sex between the two was consensual, they would both be put to death. <laughs> Which, like, okay. Um, All right. There are further accounts of Xing Shi's code that state that if a pirate took a captive as his wife, he was required to be faithful to her. Although others say that the captains would have multiple wives but, hmm. to get around the loophole. But um, whatever they thought about her, the pirates respected her and obeyed her authority. They were like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to fuck with that. Yeah, I want to keep my head. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so the Red Flag Fleet under Xing Shi's rule went undefeated despite attempts by Qing Dynasty officials, uh, the Portuguese Navy, the East India Company to Whoa. vanquish it. Yeah. After three years of notoriety in the high seas, Xing Shi finally retired in 1810 by accepting an offer of amnesty from the Chinese government. Like, I'm tired. They're like, please, we will pay you to stop. And she's like, okay. okay. Um, Xing Shi died in 1844 at the ripe old age of 69. Nice. The legacy she left behind from the time of her rule has penetrated popular culture. She's even inspired a character from the movie. But I think that that's... The coolest. Oh my gosh, it is really cool. 80,000 men. And there was like, I don't know if it was this, this particular woman or some other pirate queens, but there was this, this rumor going around that when she would fight men, she would like pull her boobs out so they knew they were defeated by a woman. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it might have been her, it might have been Grace O'Malley was the Irish pirate queen, but uh, I think... Either way. It, That's amazing. Still, I love that shit. It's like, just in case you second guessed, here's Bitch, my rap. here's my titty. Get a, gl- get a glimpse. Oh, man. I love her. Okay. My number one. So this is actually yeah. a three-for-one special. Yes, let's go. It's the Mita Ball sisters. Oh, my gosh. Have you heard okay. of them? I saw their name, but I didn't read about them. Yes. Fascinating. So I'll give you some background. So from 1930 to 1961, the Dominican Republic was suffering under the dictatorship of Rafael Trujillo. Oh, yeah. Otherwise known as El Jefe. We El don't Jefe. remember this asshole from history. He was in charge of every <clears throat> single aspect of Dominican life and livelihood. So he would produce goods like salt, meat, tobacco, rice. He And he channeled these profits to his own family and his own supporters. Mm-hmm. So he left the country in like peril. Civil and political liberties disappeared, and there became only one political party, the Dominican Party, um, and they were the only one that was allowed to exist. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Trujillo's fearsome secret police rooted out dissenters using tactics of intimidation, torture, kidnapping, and the rape of women, and even murder. His regime would ultimately be responsible for tens of thousands of deaths, so, like, nobody was safe in the DR. Yeah. So, now we'll go to the Mirabal sisters. They were born in Ojo de Agua. They're the sisters Patria, Minerva, Maria Teresa, and Day Day, and they all came from a pretty well-educated, well-to-do family. They were all incredibly beautiful, especially Minerva, who turned out to be a... Uh, a witch turned out to be, sorry, the, to their detriment. Mm. So Trujillo, like any good dictator, it seemed, um, happened to be obsessed with the possession of, of women. Of course. So he would frequently send out, this really bothers me, um, these people called beauty scouts who mm-hmm. essentially hunted for beautiful young women and invited them to, or should I say, like, forced them mm-hmm. to come to the National Palace. And you could not say no, yeah. or else you'd be put to death. This practice got so bad that families in the DR would actually hide their daughters. Yep. And every family in the DR knew this invitation meant that the daughter would have to sleep with the dictator. Yikes. So not good. And these are school-age girls, yeah. usually. So Trujillo, of course, took a liking to the Mirabal sisters, especially Minerva. And when Trujillo wouldn't take no for an answer at one of these parties, she slapped him directly in the face. <gasps> Holy shit! She's so <laughs> badass. Oh but, of course, Trujillo did not like that. And he then made um, life a living hell for the entire family. 
He went on to imprison their father, and he actually held Minerva and their mother hostage. Wow. And he said he'd let them go if Minerva would have sex with him. I hate men. (laughs) Yeah, I hate them. (laughs) She eventually escaped, luckily, after saying no a thousand times and made it to law school, but she actually couldn't get a license when she graduated because Trujillo blocked her ability to get one. So these are like, the whole family's blacklisted. Um, And the Mirabal family was essentially a chokehold. The three oldest sisters, Patria, Maria Teresa, and Minerva, decided to become active in the anti-Trujillo underground movement. So they're like, fuck you, dude. We're needing to take you down because you're blacklisting my entire family and making life a living hell. Yeah. So... When they were um, in this anti-Trujillo underground movement, they used the codename Las Mariposas, which is the butterflies. Mm-hmm. They became such a problem for Trujillo and such a force against him that in November of 1960, he was quoted as saying he had only two problems. Number one, the Catholic Church, and number two, the Mirabal sisters. <laughs> yeah, that's what that crazy. <laughs> so this, I wouldn't be that man's problem. I know. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I know. I'm like you're, you have such notoriety that like he's literally talking about you. Like He's scared. So the sisters, um, their husbands, and other Trujillistas, or anti-Trujillistas, mm-hmm. excuse me, plan to literally blow up Trujillo at a cattle fair, <laughs> but unfortunately his informants did find out the Fuck. plan and had everybody in- involved jailed. Shit. The sisters were later released, but their husbands were not, and I think Trujillo did this on purpose. Yeah. Um, the husbands were moved later to a jail that was a lot further away, so it meant that when the wives, so Patria, Maria Teresa, and Minerva, got um went to go visit them they would actually have to take a car through a secluded mountain range so it was like a really far journey and they kind of knew that this was a trap but they were like we got to go see our husbands so on the trek on november 25th 1960 they were ambushed by trujillo's goons patria was able to temporarily reach a passing truck and tell them what was going on and to spread the word and the truck sped off the sisters were then unfortunately bludgeoned strangled and put back into their car and that car was pushed over (gasps) holy shit yes so because that passing truck that Patria talked to, the driver spread the word about what had happened. Their murder actually proved to be Trujillo's downfall. Yeah. Um, it was the turning point and the last straw for the people of the DR. Six months later, the military assassinated Trujillo. Mm-hmm. The Mirabal sisters are incredibly iconic in the DR. I think they should be talked about more. Mm-hmm. But they do serve as a symbol of the power of women in politics all over the world. And November 25th is actually the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women in Their Honor. God, that's so cool. The Las Mariposas are super badass. They're so, so interesting. That You know, I know a little bit about, like, that revolution just uh, from... The Juno Diaz, who writes a lot about it. Have you read The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde? It's been a while. Have you read it, though? I love that book. That is, like, such a... And and they talk a little bit about that in there, and Mm -hmm. it's so, so cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's there's quite a few um, movies and books on the Mirabal Sisters. If you guys want to check them out, please do. It's very fascinating. God, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I just, like I said, I love doing research on this because it's just eye-opening, and it's women just all over the world kind of having to deal with the same shit. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're just fucking killing it, yep. literally. I just, women should be in charge. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. I echo that. So that brings me to my number one, which I'm so excited to talk to you about her because she kind of was the reason I wanted to make this list. Um, I heard about her once from a podcast like five years ago, and I've been obsessed with her ever since. I made my friend do a presentation on her when we were picking like, you know, the drunk uh powerpoint nights oh yeah <laughs> we were like assigning each other other topics and so i made my friend do a presentation on her and oh, she yeah. she's quoted as saying that this woman has big strap energy <laughs> quote unquote so it. um notes on this are from the culturetrip.com author jade cuddle wrote about our girl named julie d'abony do you know about her mm-hmm. at all <laughs> oh yeah you're in for it okay <laughs> this this bitch is so cool you thought alice roosevelt was cool no 
Okay, so Julie de Aubigny was born in France around 1673. So this is the oldest one on mine. Um, she was the only child to secretary to King Louis. Some, I think that's the fourth master of horse, Count d'Armagnac. I don't fucking know. Anyway. Sure, sure, sure. Um, he brought his daughter to court at the Palace of Versailles in 1682. Julie d'Aubigny's extraordinary talent for sword fighting ran in her blood, hmm. um, as her father was an accomplished swordsman who trained the court pages at Versailles. Um, and chose to educate his only child alongside the young boys. She Ooh. excelled at fencing and found a love for dressing up as a boy in her lessons as well. Common theme. Yep. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she was just swinging that sword and then wearing breeches. So we love that. <laughs> love it. Um, notorious for embarking on romantic escapades, uh, she soon ran away to marry one of her fencing instructors named Sarianne. Um after scrapping a living between them from performing fencing demonstrations at fairs and in taverns, uh, the love affair quickly fizzled out. Uh, but Dominique's love for fencing was a passion that would burn throughout her whole life. So she was like, I'm going to run away with this man. Actually, I don't like him that much. Yeah. Um, Julie Dominique loved nothing better than a duel. And she killed, or at least wounded, more than 10 men in, in doing so. Um, the anti-dueling laws in France were becoming much more strict at the time, but D'Aubigny managed to win royal pardons on the grounds that sh- the law had nothing to say about women. Oh, there you go. <laughs> he says it only applies Loophole. to men. And yeah. they're like, okay. Um, the nation assumed women couldn't possibly know how to fight Julie D'Aubigny, however, continued to prove them wrong. She says, hold my ears. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, D'Aubigny's most notorious run-in with the law sounds so absurd that you could easily make it a legend, um, but let me paint you a picture. After seducing a local merchant's daughter, <laughs> okay, by Icon, yes, um, who was then sent to a convent to keep the pair apart, Julie Daubeny forged an incredible plan. Um, it just so happened that a nun at said convent had passed away recently, and so Daubeny stole the dead body from its grave. <laughs> And placed it in her lover's room before setting the whole convent on fire. Uh, <laughs> this provided the necessary chaos to elope, and she and her lover were presumed dead. Um, later, Julie would. Oh, I see. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm getting it now. Yeah. Later, <laughs> I was like, wait, why what? put the nun in her room? In but her I get it. Okay. So they're like, they faked her death. Yeah. Uh, later, Julie would be charged with kidnapping, uh, body snatching, and arson. <laughs> And was sentenced Body to... snatching. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and arson. And she was sentenced to death by fire, which was fun. Oh, wow. However, she managed to get out of this sentence as well, which is so funny to me. So not only was she an incredibly talented sword fighter, but she was also very good at opera singing. So she just happened course. to be like a bisexual sword fighting opera singer. Yeah, which, like, we love. <laughs> um, and she used that to her advantage. So Julie enjoyed an affair with another singer uh, who auditioned for the Paris Opera and was hired right away. Uh, infatuated with his new love, he insisted that Julie be allowed to audition, which the opera was like, okay, fuck it, fine. Your girlfriend can come audition. We'll let you do that. After realizing just how talented she was, the opera helped persuade the king to lift the death sentence so that she could join them. Um, One critic credited her with having the most beautiful voice in the world, and so naturally the king agreed that it was a waste to kill her. We can't kill her now. She's (laughs) fucking goddamn. Yeah, so she went What's gonna fucking save me if I just... (laughs) What if I sing you a song? She's really good at napping. We have to save her. (laughs) Me, though. What if I performed for you? (laughs) Right? An audience, you said. Took the king to karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) So she went on to be like this huge celebrity. Um, Her performances on stage were hugely admired. She brilliant memory for music performing from uh, 1690 to 1694 became quite the star um, 
Although she may have been pardoned twice, she didn't stay out of trouble for long. She threatened to shoot the Duchess of Luxembourg, (laughs) found herself in court for attacking her landlord, and humiliated the popular Countess Marino, to whom she was a maid by adorning the back of her hair with radishes before a grand ball. (laughs) So she's like, fuck you. Um... A later lover, the Elector of Bavaria, soon found uh, Davini too intense after she stabbed herself on stage with a real dagger, offering her 40,000 francs on the condition that she'd leave him alone. <laughs> That's an old school restraining <laughs> yeah. order. He was like, please, stop. Uh, Julie Davini ended her days heartbroken for Madame la Marquise de Flo- uh, Florensac, who she said was the most beautiful woman in France, uh, who died of a fever in 1705 when Julie was 31. Dominey died in a convent, ironically, in 1707 at the age of 33, according to some historical sources. But um, there's so much mystery surrounding that her entire incredible life uh, that we can't know for sure which parts are true, which are not. But even Dominey's like birth date and place of death are subject to speculation. But I just am like, I, I, I want to, I can believe it all. I believe oh, it yeah. all. You know, you tell me anything about her. And I'd believe. be like, yeah, sure. So uh, the, the, just like a fantastic, interesting life. It should be a movie too, yeah. you know? And, and I, it's just, all of these women just depress me so much. I'm fascinated by them. And I could do this. I could do this topic eight times over. Yeah. And still yeah, not this is really fun. I really liked yeah. this episode. So um, that's all we got for you today. Um, please look up these women. It, yeah. There's so much more. This is just like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I was gonna say there's so many articles about there out there about mm-hmm. more even more women than we covered today, and we yeah. covered twenty. So that's a lot. Yeah, and it's not even it was it even twenty because we covered more than that. Twenty three, twenty. True, because sisters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and go out there and be a badass woman for yourself, and be a badass wear pants. bitch. Go wear some pants and learn go have sword lovers. fighting. Go become a pirate. Uh, I can't wait to be like eighty and to recount my lovers. You know, <laughs> know right? it's not like oh, the guy I hooked up with once. Yeah, oh, no, my lover. He was a painter. <laughs> you know, like I can't wait. I was his muse. Right. Oh, seriously. So go be someone's muse, or be yeah. or be your own be fucking your own painter, muse. or like be your you know be you know you know the the drill, you guys. We love you. Um, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. It has been so lovely having you in for our little tete-a-tete. If you have any further tittle-tattles or salacious salutations, you may contact us on the World Wide Web at tensontenspodcast.com, or you may follow the ladies on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at tensontenspodcast. That's one zero s. O-N-1-0-S podcast or via email at tensontenspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, ta-ta and toodaloo!